As the waves lapped on the shore of Somerton Beach in southern Australia, a dead man lay with his head propped against the seawall at the beachhead. He was dressed in a suit and shine shoes, wildly inappropriate for a day at the beach. An unsmoked cigarette lay on his lapel. The man carried no identification. His clothing had no tags. There were no signs of a struggle. To this day, the Somerton man has never been identified. Was he a spy? A scorned lover? Perhaps he was just an unlucky merchant mariner with no family or friends to report him missing. This week on Unknowable, follow us down the rabbit hole as we attempt to answer the question, who was the Somerton man? to Unknowable, the podcast where we talk about all things mysterious, unusual, or unknowable. I'm Justine. And I'm Gray. This week we have such a monumental, like, topic. Yeah, it's huge. Huge. This is one of my foundational mysteries that got me into trolling the internet for strange, mysterious, unknowable things. It's the, the case of the Summerton Man. Yep. Also known as the Tamam Shud case. Yep. Which we'll get into why it's called that in a little bit here. We will. But um, it's basically like a, you know, mysterious dead man with no no seeming explanation as to how he ended up dead on this beach. No idea who he was, who his family was. Well, there's some ideas, there's some mm. threads we're going to pull on here. But this topic is huge. It's insanely huge. This is... So now that we're doing bi-weekly episodes, it's nice to have two weeks to research. Yeah. I actually like, now I don't know how we did one week right. before because Jeez. it's even two weeks doesn't seem like enough for some of our topics. But this is one of those ones where I, we finished recording episode 34 and I dove right into this for a few days and it got like overwhelming. Oh yeah. And then I feel like I didn't even touch it for a week. Partly, you know, busy. It was, we just had the holidays, whatever. But mm-hmm. also partly because it was just so detail intense. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then I finally got back into it a few days ago, which is good because it's really fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had the same thing where I started to freak out again because there's just so much. Oh, yeah. Every single, like, detail about this case, you can dive down a rabbit hole on the internet, go on Reddit, and find thousands of comments about like the brand of cigarettes that he had on him oh yeah or like his calves there's so much about his calves so much i feel like we've had many episodes about different things and the weird shape of their legs yes we've had mothman yeah i feel like even the kelly hopkinsville things like they had weird legs there's just been a lot of talk of legs and this is goes in the leg pile it does this guy had the leg pile (laughs) yeah that's so wrong that's good but this guy had some intense legs apparently he did he was very muscular yeah so okay so yeah the the gist of this story yeah is really for as detail heavy as it is it's super simple very simple yeah dead guy found on a beach 1948 yep in southern australia adelaide outside of adelaide yep on december 1st my birthday his birthday well like 60 years before my birthday. Yeah. 50 years. Something like that. But still. Still. 
A lot of weird shit happens on your birthday. Yeah. It's yeah. also World AIDS Day. Wow. Which did not know that. Jackie Chan's birthday. Wow. Huh. And the day the Summerton Man was found wow. dead on the beach. Interesting. I don't know what that all means. Yeah, I don't know what it means. It means something. Something. It's a whole episode in itself. Right. Why did all of these things happen December 1st? But yeah, that's like really the gist of it. It's just dead guy found on a beach. Mm -hmm. But it gets real deep. Oh, yeah. So yeah, starting from the beginning. December 1st, 1948. Yeah. 6.30 in the morning. Police were contacted after the body of a man was discovered. Somerton Beach near Glenelg. Sure. Seven miles southwest of Adelaide, South Australia. Mm -hmm. He was lying in the sand. Yeah. He kind of had his uh, head propped on the seawall. Yeah. I kind of thought it was more of a casual position from the way it was described. But then one of the websites that I looked at had like somebody had done a reenactment mm. of how he was laying. And it really was a much more kind of an unnatural position, but not totally. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell if he like was sitting up with his back more like against the seawall and he slumped down mm. or if somebody like dumped him there and just like laid him and his cuz his head would have been like like his chin would have been touching his chest. Yeah. His head was at such an unnatural angle. Yeah. Well, I'll have a picture in the show notes which I'm actually keeping up with these days. Yeah. So, believe me when I say that. <laughs> but I'll have a picture of the recreation so you can kind of see how weird it looks. You you imagine, yeah, the shoulders and the head propped, but it's really just like shoulders were almost flat on the sand, which right. is his head at like a 90 degree angle. Um, but otherwise, in a very casual position, sort of legs extended out in front of him, his feet were like ankles were kind of crossed. Um, it was believed that he had died while sleeping. Yep. He had an unlit cigarette on the right collar of his coat. Mm -hmm. Just chilling there. Um, yeah, they searched his pockets. So he had some stuff in his pockets. He did. This is weirdly significant. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, an unused second class rail ticket from Adelaide to Henley Beach. Mm -hmm. A bus ticket from the city that could not be proved to have been used. Yeah. A narrow aluminum American comb. Ooh. A half empty packet of juicy fruit chewing gum. Interesting. Which apparently American men chewed back then, but Australian men did not. That's going to be a big, a big thing that happens here is like the distinction between like what was available in Australia in 1948. Yeah. Like nowadays, everything is available everywhere. I feel like, mm. um, but like back in 1948, you know, it's three years after world war two. Um, there's a lot of displaced people all around the world. Um, and so like, we're going to get into a lot of like, Oh, like this was, you know, an American thing or a British thing or it's cause like n nobody can even determine if the Somerton man was Australian or right. American or British. That's a big bone of contention. Yeah. Which gets really confusing in a case where you're trying to identify a person. Right. To ha have no idea if they even, did he live in the, I mean, it's assumed he didn't live in the area. Right. So where did he come from? Right. Another part of Australia. We have no idea. Um, <clears throat> he had an army club cigarette package uh, containing seven cigarettes of a different brand. Which is weird. Which is weird. And a quarter full box of Bryant and May matches. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, he was found early in the morning. There were some witnesses who came forward mm -hmm. who said that they thought that they saw the same man yeah. the night before, November 30th. Um, yeah, laying on his back in the same spot, same position. There was a couple who had seen him around 7 p.m., the night before who said that they saw him extend his right arm to its fullest extent and then drop it limply. Yeah. Almost like asking for help. I feel like mm. or like trying to get their attention. Yeah. Which is creepy. Yeah. 
another couple who saw him between like 7.30 and 8. Um, this is like, I'm pretty sure somewhere I read that sun had set shortly after 7. Mm. So this was, you know, presumably fairly dark at this point or dark, getting dark. Right. Um, so the streetlights were on. They recounted that they didn't see him move during the half hour that he was in view. But they were... So I think if I remember correctly, this was a couple that was sitting on a bench. So if you can kind of imagine there's like a little esplanade, there's, you know, a little street along the beach. Right. And then there's a little a short staircase that goes down to the actual beach. And so he was on, if you were looking at the staircase, he was on the left side, mm-hmm. just within a few feet of the staircase. This couple, I if I remember correctly, were sitting on a bench to the right of the staircase. Right. So this particular couple, they could only see maybe from his waist down. Right. They could just see legs. He'd be like off to their right. Yeah. 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 So they couldn't see his face. They couldn't see if he was sleeping or awake or doing anything. Right. Um, They, so it was the boyfriend or the husband or whatever, the guy of this couple that said that he could have sworn that he changed positions while they were there, but he didn't actually see him move. He just thought that he was in a slightly different position when they left than when they got there, but he wasn't sure. So it's possible he was alive the night before and died at some point. Yeah. Over the night. Exactly. It's possible. But the guy wasn't sure. I think that was also the guy who got the color of his pants wrong. So it threw into question whether it was the same guy, but like, what are the odds that they at 8 PM saw a guy sitting slumped in the same position. Right. And then they found a guy in the exact same spot in the morning that was dead. Right. But, um, but yeah, they couldn't see, his face and i think they were the ones who mentioned that it was odd because i think there were a lot of mosquitoes out that night the one of them actually used the phrase like i thought he must have been like dead to the world because he wasn't seemingly moving to react to these mosquitoes right which was a chilling yeah. thing to say just or just dead yeah just dead. Just, just dead that would have been, i mean that would have been my thought yeah if i was on the beach and saw some like i probably would have gotten up oh yeah and gone over to see like what's up right at the same time I have definitely been, so we live in Portland and there are, there's a little park downtown Mm -hmm. that's kind of near like our courthouse and it's like Mm -hmm. not really a sketchy part of town, but it can have some sketchy people go through it. Mm -hmm. And it's not uncommon to walk through there and see somebody just laying in the grass. Oh yeah. That maybe is somebody that has been homeless for a while. They might, you know, they just might be dirty and they're laying there and you may, I've definitely walked by people where you, in your mind, you're like, is that person Mm -hmm. okay? And I can see that it could be easy to think something like that, to be like, yeah. maybe that person's passed out. And Adelaide is maybe a not. relatively large city in Australia. Right? So you figure these people are probably used to seeing, you know, a lot of people. Yeah. And so just seeing somebody, you know, he could be sleeping on the beach. He could just be homeless or yeah, drunk or whatever, just passed out laying on the beach. And they're like, oh, he'll sober up in the morning or something. Yeah, he'll be fine. You can see that. That was definitely one of the things I read. Somebody did mention that it wasn't uncommon for people to sleep on the beach if it was a warm night, mm. presuming that that could even just be somebody who lived nearby. Right. And somebody else had said that it wasn't unusual to see somebody drunk on the beach either. Right. So, yeah, both of those things, you, you wouldn't necessarily go and, like, disturb somebody. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. And then another witness had come forward the following. No, actually, like, 11 years later. Yeah. Saying that they... Hit them and three others had seen a well-dressed man carrying another man on his shoulders along Somerton Beach the night before the body was found. Right. They had seen this, I think it was a little ways down the beach, but heading towards where he was found. Right. But that was kind of an odd 
witness statement 10 years later. Yeah. I'd, if it was like, you know, within a year of yeah. this happening, I would buy it. But like 10 years later, it seems almost like you're trying to jump on the bandwagon or yeah. why did it take you that long? And how do you remember that specifically? And yeah. it just doesn't like, I want to believe that because that would be a very intriguing. There's some like, you know, we'll get into the cause of death, but the cause of death, you know, spoiler alert was, may or may not have been poisoning Mm. and one sort of like thing that lends credence to this sighting was that there was no um, sign of convulsions there was no sign of vomiting Um, like basically the scene was undisturbed except for this dude laying there dead yeah so it's possible that he was poisoned and died somewhere else and was carried to Summerton Beach and deposited there but like the fact that this didn't they didn't come forward for like 11 years after this that's a that's a long time Yeah, I mean, I just know how my memory is. And pretty much for me, unless something happened that was tied to a very specific landmark thing, if, you know, if I was in Adelaide for a trip and it was for my birthday or something, so I knew that I was there around my birthday and I saw something, then I'd remember like, oh, yeah, it was around June 16th. Right. But there's no way in hell. 10 years later that I would remember like, oh yeah, that was November 30th. Yeah. That's some like well-dressed man carrying somebody on November 30th. Yeah. Yeah. I don't buy that. I would not, I would not remember that. So that one seems odd. Yeah. It would, it would be fitting within this story for that to be true, but who knows? Um, so according to the pathologist, John Burton Cleland, the man was of quote, Britisher appearance, which that is not, I don't cannot know. be a scientific term. I don't know what that means. He looked Britisher. Britisher, yeah. All right. Like what? He was thought to be aged somewhere like in his 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in top physical condition. Yeah. 5'11". <laughs> yeah, those legs. Damn. Pathologist was like, dude. This dude is ripped this from dude. the waist down. <laughs> <laughs> also not scientific yeah. of him to say. No. Not at all. 5'11", tall, with gray eyes, fair to ginger-colored hair, slightly gray around the temples. Hmm. Sounds like a handsome guy. Right. I say sounds like you can see pictures of his dead body. Yeah. I mean, he's not bad looking. He's not bad looking. Um, Broad shoulders, narrow waist, hands and nails that showed no signs of manual labor. Big and little toes that met in a wedge shape, like those of a dancer. Right. Or someone who wore boots with pointed toes. (laughs) Of those two options, I'd rather be the dancer. Right. Just otherwise, like, your feet are literally just mangled because you wear pointy boots all the time. I cannot imagine wearing shoes that fuck with the shape of my foot. No. That sounds awful. I mean, I guess that's also being a dancer, too. Right. At least, like, if you're dancing, like, you're like, all right, like, my feet are going to, like, get deformed because, like, I'm dancing. Like, at least there's, like, a cause and effect. But you're like, I just love these boots. These boots, (laughs) these pointy toes look dope. And I'm going to, like, wear them even though my feet hurt. Like, when you die, a pathologist is going to, like, know what kind of shoes you wear. Right. Because you just love those pointy boots. Relax, man. <laughs> Relax. Yeah. And pronounced calf muscles consistent with people who regularly wore boots or shoes with high heels or performed ballet. <laughs> so either he wore heels. Yeah. Or he was a ballet dancer. He is. It is, like, a like almost an accepted fact that he was probably a ballet dancer. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a weird detail. Like Should have just gone with Yeah, but yeah. it's. I did not know that that was a thing that they could, but it makes sense. I, I have not seen much ballet in my day Nope. <laughs> for this episode's um, disclaimer. I'm not a ballet expert, <laughs> but one of the ones that I did see, we went and saw the Nutcracker a mm. while ago and 
Yeah, they do have some pretty intense. Oh, yeah. They have like muscles in places that you weren't aware. Right. You could have muscles. It's wild. It's wild. Um, so yeah, he was dressed in a white shirt, mm-hmm. red, white, and blue tie, brown trousers, socks, and shoes, a brown knitted pullover, and a fashionable gray and brown double-breasted jacket. But no hat. But no hat, which is weird for the time. Yeah. Like everybody back then wore a hat. And yeah. like he almost definitely had a hat, but like it's it's lost to history. Yeah. Where's so, his hat? Where's his hat? And this jacket was also a reportedly American tailoring. Mm-hmm. There's a few American details in here. Yeah. All the labels on his clothes had been removed. Yes. And yeah, no hat. Clean shaven, carried no ID, which led police to believe that he had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, his dental records were not able to be matched to any known person. He was also uncircumcised. Oh. I have that detail. <laughs> oh. I don't know what that means. Wow. I did so not see was, that detail anywhere. He was not Jewish. We hmm. know that. Interesting. That I mean, really, that is probably a more significant detail at the time than it would be today. Right. Because that is a much, like, much more common thing. Yeah. I feel like that hmm. almost points to him being not American. Interesting. Which is because I feel like, um, I mean, from everything I know anecdotally, I feel like back in like the 19, I mean, back until like, you know, five, 10 years ago, mm. everybody in America was circumcised and it was like a thing. Like you just like, it wasn't even a question. Right. I mean, comment, like write to us if I'm wrong, but I'm, my understanding is that like other countries are less likely to circumcise, whereas Americans were more likely to circumcise all of their kids. Mm. So yeah, definitely I think that let us know. points to him being not American. Yeah. But I mean, again, who knows? Who knows? It's again, it's like every detail in the story that could mean everything or that could mean literally nothing. Yeah. That's pretty much the theme of this whole thing. Yeah. Um, so one, a couple things that I read said that the pathologist based on the autopsy estimated the time of death at 2 AM December 1st. But I also read some things that said that they kind of, in a hurry in the ambulance on the way to I assuming bring him to the hospital to make sure he was dead or to right. pronounce him dead. I don't know. Um, kind of were just like, yeah, 2 AM probably. Right. So it kind of seemed like it was a thing that they weren't really determined to solidly nail down because at the time they were presuming that it was a suicide. Yeah. So the time of death wasn't super important. This investigation was not handled very well. No, it was not handled the best. And it definitely would have been nicer to know exactly when he died or at least a little closer estimation. But 2 a.m. is kind of the number that's thrown around. It's also in question, too, because poisoning, which is we'll get to is potentially the uh, cause of death, um, can affect like rigor mortis mm. and the way that the body sets. So it's possible that 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 time is wildly off because of yeah. the nature of his death. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the pathologist report included I'm not going to go into all the details because there's a lot of yeah. details about his organs but yes. there was some of his organs were kind of fucked up yeah again spleen yeah he had some spleen issues and some liver issues and there was a lot of a lot of things were um what was the word congested inflamed yeah inflamed yeah. so there was some question about some of the things it pointed again to the poisoning having a similar effect some of the things maybe were potentially he already had health issues didn't seem like he had enough health issues that he died. He definitely did not die of natural causes, mm. but maybe he was in somewhat of a weaker state because right. of something that was already going on. But there was no, essentially the pathologist was not able to say for sure right. what had happened. Um, there was no trait. His last meal was a, a pasty. Yes. Which I had to Google. 
Okay. Which is basically like a. I was going to call it a pasty. Pasty. <laughs> a pasty. I think it's like a, it's like a, um, similar, I guess, to like a, in, in Indian samosa where mm. it's like a crispy breaded sort of like, um, almost, it's shaped almost like a calzone where it's like a half moon shape, but it's like a sealed pocket of like meat and like vegetable filling. So he had one of those, but it did not contain poison. No. So if he was poisoned, it was not in his food. No. Yeah. It was estimated that he ate something. Yeah. That he had, I think one of the things mentioned specifically potato Mm. in his stomach. Yeah. yeah, Estimated that he ate that sometime three or four hours before death. So yeah, the pathologist, Dr. Dwyer concluded, I am quite convinced the death could not have been natural. The poison mm-hmm. I suggested was a barbiturate or a soluble hypnotic. So the barbiturates are a class of sedative yep. and sleep-inducing drugs. Um, so poisoning remained the prime suspicion, basically. But yeah, they did not believe that it was from the pasty. Yeah. Um. So other than that, yeah, they were just kind of like, don't know. Don't we we don't know who he is. Yeah. We think maybe people saw him the night before. We aren't sure of that. And we don't know how he died, basically. Um. And then the body was embalmed December 10th. So After they could, they couldn't ID him. Right. So they could, they wanted like, it's crazy. Cause like back then they wanted to preserve the body so that they could maybe, um, study it more, have people like try to identify him. Yeah. And they wanted to keep the body around as long as possible. So they embalmed it. Kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild man. So 1948. Yeah. 1948. So that's December 10th, nine days after they found him. So January 14th, 1949 staff at the Adelaide railway station discovered a brown suitcase mm-hmm. with its label removed which had been checked into the station cloakroom after 11 a.m. on November 30th, the day mm-hmm. before they found him. It was believed the suitcase was owned by the man found on the beach, the Summerton man. Yep. So in the case, a bunch more cool things. Yeah. So kind of, sort of. they they definitively linked it to him because his pocket of his trousers had been ripped. Okay. And it was sewed together with this very specific orange thread. Yes. And they found the identical thread in this brown leather suitcase. Perfect. So they, it's like 99.9% sure his, um, his suitcase and that, that brand of thread is like not from Australia or was not available in Australia. Mm. So it's like even more definitive that it was his. Dang it. So it's wild. Where did come from? God. It's like the most frustrating I know. case. Just, because there's, there's so much, there's, but there's so, so, much. so little. Exactly. Like when we go through the contents of his suitcase, like there's a ton of stuff and they all point yet, in various different directions. Yeah. So far, my most significant thing that I think is the the cigarettes, the 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 seven cigarettes that are of a more expensive brand put mm. in the container of a less expensive, like army, like ration oh, yeah. brand. That's something I want to put a pin in. Okay. Just put a pin in that. Cigarettes. Yeah. I hadn't even really thought too much about the cigarettes, so that's good. Yeah. So in the suitcase. Yeah. Here we go. A red checked dressing gown. Size seven red felt pair of slippers, four pairs of underpants, pajamas, shaving items, a light brown pair of trousers with sand in the cuffs, Mm. an electrician's screwdriver, a table knife cut down into a short, sharp instrument, shiv, (laughs) shiv, a pair of scissors with sharpened points, another another shiv, another shiv, (laughs) a small square of zinc thought to have been used as a protective sheath for the knife and scissors. It's bizarre. (laughs) <laughs> like a shiv holder. Yeah, shiv holder. And a stenciling brush as used by third officers on merchant ships for stenciling cargo. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the thread card of Barber brand orange waxed thread of, quote, an unusual type, mm-hmm. not available in Australia, as you said. 
Same that used her pair of the lining in his trousers. So. Also a cigarette lighter. Cigarette lighter. Huh. Which is weird that he had cigarettes on him, but he chose to bring the matches instead of the lighter. Interesting. Could could mean everything, could mean nothing. Yeah, again, just could. Really? I'm having Not a hard weird. time. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with this. Also, so one thing to note there, no socks. No socks. No socks in his in his luggage at all. Interesting. Again, could mean everything, could mean nothing. I didn't even he think had no a, He had a whole other change of clothes, like a whole other. He had like pajamas and everything, but yeah. no socks. Where did socks go? Right. Why didn't he bring socks? Did he forget socks? Is he like me? <laughs> Again, is it a significant detail? Like why are these missing or right. is he just forgetful? Right. Because that's something that I would forget going someplace. Oh, yeah. Totally forget socks. I regularly forget my toothbrush every time I go. Like I have bought toothbrushes in many different states. Yep. <laughs> just because every time I go somewhere, I'm like, motherfucker. Damn it. It's the one thing I forgot. Yeah. Like, or I get a toothbrush from the hotel front desk. Right. Like that person who's like, uh... So it's weird too that he like left the suitcase at a train station. Yeah. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, but he, they had remembered that he had checked his suitcase and then had come to like take a shower somewhere. Mm. Like they had like a public shower that yeah. he had to like walk to, to like take a shower and then took either the train to the Somerton beach or something. Something. But he had like, he had gone here, checked his his suitcase in and then gone and taken a shower and then gone about his business on November 30th and then yeah. died that night. Yeah. And left a suitcase. It's just weird. I mean, maybe that was more normal back in the 1940s. Like you're traveling and you take a shower in a public shower. Yeah. I don't that's really a know. Weird, that's a weird detail. Yeah. Nowadays. I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. We'll get very shortly to the time. Well, the estimated timeline, yeah. which again, just, just like most things in this case, just make my head spin in circles. Yeah. Because I'm just like, I can't trying to imagine all this. Right. It's like, I need a recreation happening in front of me. It's it's a little like reading Shakespeare where it's like, you know that it's like English, but like it doesn't make any sense to you That's because exactly it's a what whole it is. different culture. Yeah. So you're trying to like wrap your head around like a, a maybe British and or American and or Australian man in Australia in the 1940s doing some weird shit that yeah. we don't know what he was even. It's just, it's, it's so hard to wrap your mind around what was he thinking and what was he doing exactly it's it is yeah it's very much like you need somebody sitting next to you who lived in that time or who is an expert on that time and on that geographical location right who can tell you like oh yeah that was normal for this or like oh yeah that's something that they would have done or oh yeah that's whatever right but without that you're just kind of like what the fuck like the fact that everything in his suitcase had the um the labels removed as well yeah except for like there was like two or three labels that had one name. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, all IDs, all identification marks on the clothes in the suitcase had been removed, but they did find the name T Keen, K E A N E on a tie. Yep. Uh, just the word Keen on a laundry bag and then Keen without the E mm-hmm. on a singlet, which is like a waistcoat, um, along with three dry, dry cleaning marks, which I have written down for some reason, but I yeah. won't tell you. find it on your own yep police believed that whoever removed the clothing tags either overlooked these three or purposely left them knowing that keen was not the dead man's name which i thought was interesting because i don't know how they could have known that it definitely wasn't his name yeah it's presumptuous it's very presumptuous like oh they totally were doing this to throw us off like well how do we know it wasn't it seems strange that there would be three tags that have the same Roughly the same name. Yeah. Um, I had read somewhere that like it was a common thing back in those times, especially like in Australia, to um, 
label your clothes with your name. Mm. And then if you bought clothes secondhand, which people did a lot because they didn't have a lot of money, yep. um, you'd remove those tags because then you wouldn't want someone else's name in it. Right. So it's conceivable that he had like bought these clothes secondhand, especially because he had like repaired the hole in the trousers. Right. So he seemed like a, a, a spendthrift kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's conceivable that he bought these clothes secondhand, but um, – how would he buy like what are the odds that you'd buy three things with the same person's name in it and not remove those tags That's true. when he had removed the tags from everything else right and somebody had mentioned about one of the pieces of clothing that it's possible that um whatever it was was difficult to get in australia but maybe if he had gotten it from bought it from somebody who was a similar size as he was so i don't know what the odds are <laughs> that he maybe bought a lot of clothes from one person like directly mm-hmm. bought them from a person i don't know how common that is well i guess like i'm thinking too like nowadays it, like you go to goodwill and yeah. it's like everything has gone to like a central processing unit and then gone out to the different goodwill so the odds of finding clothes from the same person are super slim nowadays but maybe back then you know everything is you know from within 25 miles around or whatever right so maybe i guess maybe it was more likely back then to find like several pieces of clothing from the same person at a thrift shop and potentially if they all fit him, you know, it makes sense because like one dude's. So again, like this could mean everything. This could be yeah. like the break in the case or this could just mean nothing. Like yeah. he could have just bought these at a thrift store and forgot to take the tags out. Or his name could have been Keen. Or that's his name. Like, But, I there, was, was, yeah. but there was nobody found who was missing with that name. Right. In Australia. Yeah. Or I mean. In any English speaking country. There you go. Yeah. 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 So an inquest into the death conducted by coroner Thomas Erskine. Erskine. Cleveland uh, commenced a few days after the body was found, but then was adjourned until June 17th, 1949. So, okay. So this is part of when it gets confusing. Mm -hmm. So police checked incoming train records and believed the man had arrived at the Adelaide railway station by overnight train from either Melbourne, Sydney or Port Augusta. Okay. They speculated he had showered and shaved at the adjacent city baths. So there was no baths ticket on his body. Doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I guess you needed a ticket. So again, like I'm reading this and I'm just like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, right. A bath ticket. <laughs> what does that mean? Before returning to the train station to purchase a ticket for the 1050 AM train to Henley Beach, which for whatever reason he missed or just didn't get on the bus. Um, he immediately checked his suitcase at the station cloakroom before leaving the station and catching a city bus to Glenelg. Although named city baths, the center was not a public bathing facility, but a public swimming pool just like Hmm. okay the railway station bathing facilities were adjacent to the station cloakroom which itself was adjacent to the station's southern exit onto north terrace good lord the city baths were accessed accessed wow i'm having a time right now stroke (laughs) um there is no record of the station's bathroom facilities being unavailable on the day he arrived so i guess that is significant just because it's like why if he could have just showered and whatever right next to where the cloakroom was and he was gonna drop the suitcase anyways why did he go to the city baths and it makes it seem like if there was a ticket does he need to pay to use the city bath showers right why didn't he just shower where he was if it was available and he mm-hmm. could have just done that i would say the one thing that this tells us is that he was not from adelaide yeah because he would not be taking a bath uh, taking a shower and shaving <laughs> at a public bath right. if he had access to his own home and shower yeah yeah so he does not live around here nor does he have i don't know like he's clearly a traveler yeah to adelaide whether that means he's not from australia that's a whole other question but he's just not from 
Adelaide. No, definitely not. That's one thing that we know. That's maybe the only thing we know. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. the investigating pathologist re-examined the body and made a number of discoveries. One of which his shoes were super clean and recently polished. Um, rather than the state that they would expect if somebody had been like walking around Glenagle all day. Right. You wouldn't have these super clean shoes. Hmm. Um, and which was somewhat supportive. Again, we've already mentioned the poisoning theory. Yep. Somewhat supportive of the fact that maybe he was brought to the beach yep. after he died. And the other thing was that there was no evidence of vomiting or convulsions, which right. would be present if he was poisoned Mm -hmm. there would most likely one or both of those things would happen not in 100 percent of the cases but probably um so he speculated that as none of the witnesses could positively identify the man they saw the previous night as definitely being the same guy there still remained the possibility that he died somewhere else and had been dumped there and but basically like all he could come to was that that was just speculation right we don't really know um, and so Cedric Stanton Hicks, professor of physiology and pharmacology at the University of Adelaide, testified that a group of drugs, variants of a drug in. So at the time, he would only call these groups number one and number two because he said these were extremely toxic in a relatively small oral dose. And it would have been really difficult to identify even if they had suspected those drugs. And at the time... Apparently, they were quite, quote, quite easily procurable by the ordinary individual from a chemist without really much need, like, to give a reason why you needed them. So he didn't, I think at the time, he did not want to give the name of what these were so that people couldn't get an idea and be like, oh, sweet. Right. Um, But in the 80s, they finally revealed that they were digitalis and, don't know how to say this word, (laughs) O-U-A-B-A-I-N. I don't even want to try. Wobbin? Wobbin? I don't know. (laughs) Somebody's listening to this knowing how wrong we're getting this. Screaming at their like (laughs) iPhone right now. I'm very sorry. So both of these are, shit, more words I don't really know how to say. Cardinalide type cardiac glycosides. Nice. Yeah. That sounded Sure. Right? Yeah. (laughs) You're very encouraging. (laughs) You're also like, I have no fucking idea. I have no idea. Um, so digitalis is a genus of about 20 species of perennials, biennials, and shrubs commonly called foxgloves. Okay. Probably know that name more, although I knew the name digitalis. Nice. Uh, native to parts of Europe, Asia, and Northwestern Africa. The term is also used for drug preparations that contain cardiac glycosides, particularly the one called digoxin, digoxin, fuck. Close enough. Damn. I, you know, every time I mean to look up how to pronounce things and then I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, extracted from various plants of this genus. So wabane is a plant derived toxic substance that was traditionally used as an arrow poison in Eastern Africa for both hunting and warfare <laughs> in lower doses. It can be used medically to treat hypotension and some arrhythmias pretty intense. And a cardinalide is a type of steroid and cardiac glycosides are a class of organic compounds that increase the output force of the heart and increases rate of contractions. So, but again, this is pure speculation. This is speculation. This, this is what, just, nothing was like they couldn't. No, they didn't find, find anything. This. this is just what they thought would be the likely. Yeah. Because yeah, it's hard to find traces of them in the blood apparently, and it seems like it could have fit. But yeah, this I mean, in particular, those types of steroids or those cardiac glycosides can be used for like congestive heart failure and arrhythmias, but they 
aren't used very often apparently because of their relative toxicity. So these right. can be like very dangerous drugs used incorrectly or in the wrong hands. So if somebody had poisoned him, they mm. know they know a lot about pharmacology and poisoning and how to kill somebody without it showing up in a talk screen. Yeah, because so nothing was found. Right. Um yeah, he noted that basically he thought it was odd that there was no vomiting. But he couldn't really make a conclusion about that even with that because, again, it wasn't 100% of poison deaths have vomiting. Right. So he said that if death had really occurred seven hours um, after the man was last seen moving, it would imply that like a massive dose would have needed to be used, but that that could still be undetectable. Hmm. So there's just really nothing. Um, they thought that that arm movement that somebody maybe saw at 7 p.m. could have been a convulsion. Okay. during his actual death but again there's no way to know yeah. yeah like it didn't i would think a convulsion somebody seeing that wouldn't just be like oh he lifted his arm up yeah it's not like a convulsion like that seems yeah. i mean if anything i would buy that being more like rigor mortis mm. like his body rigid like getting rigid and like one of his arms going straight up mm. from the rigidity that's what i would it's read creepy. into that rather than a convulsion it's creepy that is creepy yeah early in the inquiry cleland stated basically that he thinks it was poison. It was probably a glycoside and that it was not accidentally administered, but he can't say if it was administered by the Somerton man or by somebody else. Right. Um, but yeah, there was no vomiting. <clears throat> there were no fecal stains in the underwear. Just FYI. It's good to know. Also, yeah, just to Typically, go along with like all these details, you know, like yeah. his non-circumcision. Yeah. What an, un- what an undignified like existence that the Somerton man now has. Yeah. Every like detail of his like physical body has been, Oh yeah. Published on the internet. We're talking about his penis and his calves. Yep. It's wrong. <laughs> his weird toes. His weird toes. Yeah. The wedge-shaped toes. The fact that he maybe just wore heels all the yeah, time. Right. We don't know. He's like, come on guys, I was a dancer. And we're like, I don't know. Or did you just wear boots all the time? You know. Don't know. Not judging. Not judging. It's totally <clears throat> fine. Um, but yeah, no evidence of convulsions. They talked about like a little bit about there didn't seem to be, you know, the fact that he had a cigarette just sitting on his lapel right. meant that most likely he did not have convulsions laying there. That cigarette would not have stayed on his lapel if that was right. the case. I get the impression like the cigarette was like in his mouth and it just fell out under his lapel. Exactly. Which yeah. it's not convulsions. That would just be like, just fell off your lip or whatever. Yeah. Just falling asleep or dying. I guess right. just dying. Um, and even just the fact that he had something in his stomach to identify what his last meal was mm-hmm. means that most likely he did not die right from wow <laughs> okay i'm so sorry <laughs> he's not dead at all that's the real no part no that he didn't vomit <clears throat> right, um, exactly so yeah very confusing yeah that's where we're at right now so he's probably poisoned we kind of know his movements on november 30th yep kind of um, before that we have no idea no idea um Let's get to the the real, what I think is part of the, the meatiest part of this whole story. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, to wrap up all that, there was no Tikin missing in any English speaking, speaking country. Yeah. So that the one possible lead for the names in his clothing was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the coat, the there was a front gusset and feather stitching on a coat found in the suitcase indicated that. It had been manufactured in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Again, another tie to the U.S. Yeah. But it had not been imported. So, again, he either had been to the U.S. himself, yep. possible, 
or bought it from someone of a similar size who had been also mm-hmm. possible. Again, right. there's maybe evidence that he was buying secondhand clothing right. or getting it from somebody else. So who mm-hmm. knows? Um, so they made a plaster cast of his head and shoulders and were kind of using that, but they referred to this as like an unparalleled mystery. And right. they, at the time believed that like the cause of death might never be known. Right. It was like, it was like already a mystery in the day. Yeah. And so far, even <clears throat> in 2020 now, it is still unsolved for now. So, in April of 1949. About a year later. Yeah. Yeah. About a year. Well, yeah. yeah a year after a year. Yeah. like this inquest is happening. Yeah. A tiny piece of rolled up paper with the words Tamam Shud printed on it was found in a fob pocket stone within the dead man's trouser pocket. I'm a little curious. I mean, I guess it was mentioned that this pocket was like really well concealed. Yeah. Just not on purpose, but just the way the pocket was. Right. I was a little bit like, wow, that took a long time i mean i guess they didn't really have reason Again, to not a great investigation right like i was like wow that's a long. i really expected that to be have have been found right after oh yeah they were searching the body but no um so this was yeah a little pocket near like the waist of the trousers that generally was used for pocket watches kind of like how in your like in your current pocket you have like the little change pocket yeah but it, i guess yeah in the waistband yeah which is odd yeah it's weird so this, yeah, this roll, like, apparently it, one of the things I read said that it was in there deep enough that they had to use tweezers to get it out. Yeah. And it was rolled up like super tight. Yeah. Which is weird. Which is weird. Um, so public library officials were called in to translate the text and it was a phrase meaning ended or finished mm-hmm. found on the last page of the, you need to say this cause I don't know how to say it. The Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. There you go. <clears throat> which was very much considered to be a popular book at the time. This was like a book of, well, I'm going to get into that in a second, but this mm. was a popular book. It was similar. I saw to like how chicken soup for the soul, mm. similar idea where like it was this big cultural thing that everybody read wow. and was a very much like a feel good kind of like inspirational text that hmm. people would use as like a, um, you know, kind of like a lighthearted like way to feel better about life. Hmm. It was a lot of like persevering in the face of adversity and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I had no idea. I had literally never heard of this. Me neither. Until I did, I did kind of a deep dive. Yeah. But um, it's the, so Rubaiyat is the plural of a word that means poem. I think like Rubai would okay. be like the singular. So the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, it's the, it's basically like the collection of poems of Omar Khayyam mm-hmm. is what I understand about it. Yeah, this was the title that Edward Fitzgerald <clears throat> gave to his 1859 translation. So, yeah, the selection of these quatrains, four-line poems yep. from Omar Khayyam. Um, so this was translation from Persian to English. Mm-hmm. And so this guy, Omar Khayyam, lived from 1048 to 1131. Yeah. Holy crap. Weird. Dubbed the Astronomer Poet of Persia. Whoa. It's kind of badass. It's a dope name. <laughs> dope. Yeah. Dope Description, title. yeah. Yeah. Title. Um. So these works, yeah, they've been translated into like a zillion different languages over the years. They've got like a zillion references in literature, cinema, music. Like this is huge. Yeah. Um, an album by Milo. Yeah. Um, that features a couple references to it. There's a brief sighting of the book itself in Back to the Future. It was quoted in Twelve Monkeys. Like there's a whole bunch of little references to this book. It's quoted in Twelve Monkeys, really? Apparently, yeah. Which, and wow. I'm pretty sure my time hop just told me yesterday. I think that like yesterday was the anniversary of Twelve Monkeys coming out which seemed really weirdly appropriate that's wild yeah i was like man all these things are connecting together mm-hmm. um so yeah they they actually put a photograph of this scrap of paper released it to the press so they could hopefully find the copy 
of this book right. that had this part ripped out. Um, so yeah, the theme of the Rubaiyat is that one should live life to the fullest and have no regrets when it ends, right. which is oddly fitting again with the potentially with the theory of suicide. Yeah. Um, Again, the poem subject led police to theorize that he had committed suicide, right. but no solid evidence for that. Yeah. Like if you ripped a page out of a book that said like it is finished and you put that in your pocket, yeah. it would make sense that you were making a, it's almost like a suicide note. Right. Kind of like it is finished. My life is finished. Yeah. I have no regrets. Yeah. Whatever. No regrets. So. <clears throat> dang. <laughs> Great has lost consciousness. <laughs> put his head back too far and whacked it. Oh, yeah. Um. So they located the copy. Yeah. July this is, this 1949. Weird, yeah. So it's like almost, so it's like a year later. Yeah. Um, and it's like a weird, like these, so these two dudes, was it brothers? Um, it was a dude and his brother-in-law. <clears throat> okay. They had like gotten to their, they had left their car on like parked next to the beach yep. near Summerton beach. I guess it, it was the night of November 30th or the day of November 30th. They had parked there, um, went off, did their thing came back and they had seen that there was the little book, the Rubaiyat was in their back seat, and each of them thought that the other person had it and it was theirs and had put it in the back. So they just like grabbed it and threw it in the glove compartment and it just sat in their glove compartment for um, like almost a year before they like saw this on the news. And then they were like, Oh wait, that's that book that we found. Um, it's just weird. Like, it, like I think I had read that, um, they assumed that somebody had just like let like one of their back windows was down mm. of their car and somebody had just like kind of thrown it in as they were walking by. Conceivably the Summerton man was walking, tore this thing out of the book, tossed the book into like just some random person's car as he was walking and then went down to the beach to die. Yeah. Is the, I guess what you could read into that. But I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. This particular detail of the story is one that almost, Every place that I read about this story varies. Yeah. Sometimes pretty greatly. As far as when exactly this book was found and how they found it. See, the version that I found, which is similar to the one that you found, was that, um, let's see, essentially this guy. So I think he, they had a, a name for him. They were calling him a pseudonym of Ronald Francis to mm -hmm. protect his identity. A lot of people in the story are protecting their identity. Yeah. Um, Ronald Francis, he said that he was driving somewhere with his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law like, was reading a book in the car, and then they got to where they were going, and the brother-in-law put it in the glove box, and uh, Ronald didn't really take notice of that because he was just like, okay, whatever. And then when the police made the call, like, looking, you know, they released that picture, he was like, wait a second, and pulled the book out, and then sure enough, on the last page, it was Tamam shoot spot was missing. Yeah. And so he contacted his brother-in-law and was like, you know, that book you put in the glove box, like that's the book the police are looking for. And his brother-in-law was like, no dude, like that was on the back floor of your car. I just assumed it was yours and put it in the glove box. Oh, weird. Yeah. So there's, but yeah, it apparently same thing. Like he had, he frequently parked his car with the windows down. No big deal. I think it said that he lived very close to that area. Okay. I think. Um, and so one of the things that somebody was mentioning, like, how did he know exactly where he had been parked that time? Like, it was theorized maybe he lived close by and just always parked in kind of the same area. Right. So he knew that he had been, like, most likely he was by the beach. But hmm. ultimately, the fact that he found it, went and grabbed it weeks later, like, and even the fact that his brother-in-law found it on the floor, there's no telling 
when that book was put in the car. Oh yeah. Is like one of the big mysteries too. If he free, it's not like even, you know, there's no way you could even know like one time I had my windows down, like right. who knows when it got tossed in there. So, which is important just because if we're assuming that the Somerton man arrived the day, essentially, well, I guess the day before he died. Right. If he died early in the morning, but still, it's a little bit important if like that book was tossed in there weeks before, because mm-hmm. that would kind of imply either he had been there for a lot longer. He had previously visited. Right. He wasn't the one who tore it out. Mm-hmm. It like raises all kinds of questions. Yeah, like somebody planted it in his fob pocket. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yet another mm-hmm. thing again that, I mean, this is one of the details that I feel like probably isn't nothing, but then even then, like he could have committed suicide yeah. and could have included that in there. He could have, been walking from somewhere to the beach and just like ripped it out and been like, fuck this book and yeah. tossed it in the window and whatever. Well, we'll get into where he potentially got this book from, but um, yeah. it could just be, you know, it is finished does not necessarily refer to his life. It could be refer to a past relationship that he had. A past relationship. Yeah. It could just, refer to like a job being done. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he just liked the way that it looked. Yeah. And just wanted cool. to like keep it like maybe he didn't even know what it means. You know? Right. Maybe it wasn't connected to his death at all. And yeah, he had just torn it out. And I mean, which it still raises a question of like, how did it end up in that person's car? Right. But still, maybe he was just, I don't know. Walking down the street and just tossed like. Just thought it'd be fun. Yeah. It's, it's again, like everything or nothing. Yeah. It really, it's like the most upsetting thing is just that you want to get into this guy's brain and just be like, what? Yeah. What you, you, want, you want to examine every single piece of evidence, but it's like you could be going down the completely wrong rabbit hole and missing you know, the forest through the trees. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is for sure. The theme of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the inside of the back cover of the book, detectives identified indentations from handwriting. Mm-hmm. This is also another detail that got muddled a little bit just because some people said it was indentations. Some said it was like very light pencil marks. Doesn't right. really matter. Um, a telephone number, an unidentified number, and then text that resembled an encrypted message, Yes. which I will not read out cause just a bunch of letters, but you yep. can, Check it out in the show notes. Yep. So, yeah, there's five lines of text, but the second line was crossed out. And mm-hmm. the second line was very similar to the fourth line. So it's theorized that he started to write the second line and messed it up either in order or whatever, crossed it out, and then did the third line and then the fourth line, the fifth line. Um, and so it's never been it's never been cracked. No, never been cracked. But there's like, so somebody had done like some analysis of it and it doesn't follow the phonetic patterns of words in English. So it's Mm. probably not encrypted words, but it does follow the phonetic pattern of the first letter of words in English. Yep. So it's potentially like if you were to trying to memorize like a paragraph of something and you just wrote the first letter of each word to remind yourself almost as like a a study aid or something. Yep. It's almost like, um, I thought that was interesting. Like, it's almost like a, a memory aid rather than like an encrypted sort of message. Yeah. Or maybe it is an encrypted message. Maybe, you know, we'll get into the the potential of what this could mean f- for the different theories. But yeah, um, I thought it was a weird detail that it's like phonetically similar to the um, the first letter of words rather than like the actual letters of words. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those. I mean, all, for all the people that have looked at it, including, you know, some pretty high up people oh, yeah. who do this on a regular basis. Nobody has any idea what it means. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's brevity as well. It's a pretty short thing. 
usually for, I mean, but even again, like we talked about ciphers in the Zodiac killer episode mm -hmm. and he had some pretty long ones. Yeah. And even those just who fucking knows. Right. Dude had a lot of typos though. So he probably just messed up the words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like burn Zodiac killer in this episode. Yeah, too. He sucks. He sucks. He's the worst. The worst serial killer. He's the worst. So who knows? But it was a little too short. They just couldn't figure it out. But the telephone number. Yes. On the back cover belongs to a nurse. So she goes by many names, mm -hmm. but Jessica, for short, Joe Thompson. Yeah. Um, she lived on Mosley Street in Glen Elg, about 1,300 feet north of where they found the body. So she was very close. Very close. Um, she was interviewed by police, said she didn't know the dead man, didn't know why he would have her phone number, and didn't know why he would choose to visit her suburb. Mm -hmm. um, but she did report that at some time in late 1948, an unidentified man had attempted to visit her and asked a next-door neighbor about her. Um, so this guy, Jerry Feltis retired detective who I think got into this case when it was a cold case. Mm -hmm. He has a book on the case called unknown man. And in his book, he stated that when he interviewed Thompson in 2002, he personally found that she was either being evasive or she quote, just did not wish to talk about it. But he believed that she knew the man's identity. Mm -hmm. um, and in 1949, yeah, she requested that police not keep a permanent record of her name released her details to third parties. She thought it would be embarrassing and harmful to her reputation. Um, they agreed. So she was referred to sometimes as uh, the nickname Justin. Yeah, which is weird. Which is, yeah, odd. Uh, J-E-S-T-Y-N. And names such as Teresa Johnson. Um, it just seems like a weird thing that you would want to, like, hide from. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it feels like hiding. It doesn't feel like... Because, like... Like... I, I don't understand why she wouldn't want this to be like a permanent thing in the police like i understand not wanting your name like in like the press and yeah. not wanting like everybody to be hounding you like oh did you know the unknown man but like a, in a police report like it's pretty like under wraps like you're not gonna yeah it just seems like her behavior seems strange especially and if you really like, didn't have a connection right like the fact like so like the concrete connection is like the scrap of paper in his pocket is connected to the book yeah for sure for sure the book has her name or not her name but her phone number in it so therefore she has a direct connection to him oh yeah um unless unless the rubaiyat that has her number in it was brought like she gave that to somebody like maybe she like gave out her number you know what i mean to some guy he gives it to a thrift store shit and friggin summer to man buys it at a thrift store with all his clothes damn and then just rips out that piece of paper and like has nothing to do with it Damn. Again, so maybe she doesn't remember who she gave that book to, or maybe she gave that book to a lot of people. Right. And so she's embarrassed because she can't remember because maybe she has many partners and it's 1948 and she's a woman. So she like is not allowed to like have a sexual life. So she's embarrassed because she can't remember the guy who she gave the book to because she gave the book to a lot of people. <laughs> so maybe that's why she's being evasive and doesn't want to talk about it. So it really means nothing. Except we get a little further. Yep. And so Detective Sergeant Lean, he went to talk to her. Uh, she said she couldn't identify the person. But according to the sergeant, he described her reaction upon seeing the plaster cast mm -hmm. as, quote, completely taken aback to the point of giving the appearance that she was about to faint. Yes. And in an interview many years later, Paul Lawson, who was the technician who made the cast and was present when she viewed it, said that after looking at the bus, she immediately looked away and would not look at it again. <laughs> 
which again seems odd. It's not like she's looking at, I could almost see that kind of reaction if you were looking at the, um, like the photographs from the autopsy, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like a dead guy. Right. I could see that maybe you'd react a little bit that way. Like as he wasn't bloated or bloody or anything, but I could see that it would just be hard yeah. to see. Some people don't that, deal with death well. Yeah. But this being a plaster cast, I think maybe would be like a little bit separated from that. It's not mm-hmm. a direct photograph. So I don't know why you would be faint looking at it and not want to look back at it if it wasn't like graphic in any way. Well, when you look at the plaster cast, if you're listening on and you have a computer available, Google the plaster cast and then Google like the the picture of the Summerton man's dead Mm. body. The plaster cast is not, I don't think looks that much like the photograph to the point where it's like, you know, obviously it's the same person because they took a plaster cast of his dead body. Yeah. But like, I don't know that I would recognize the Summerton man from the cast and vice versa. So it's like, what if he looked enough like one person that she slept with that she like thought it was this other guy, but what if it wasn't? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying like, again, it could mean everything or it could mean nothing. It could be diving down this rabbit hole of this nurse and it could mean nothing. So we're going to dive a little deeper about that a little later that maybe connects her a little harder, but For now, yes, it's definitely possible that would link up with the tags being missing if he did just, maybe he was just in town here and there and needed some clothes, needed some stuff. He was at the thrift store, got mm-hmm. his clothes, and he was like, oh, sweet, that yeah. book of poetry. Cool, I'll grab yeah. that. And yeah, it was totally unrelated yeah. to her, but he just, she got wrapped up in this like, oh, shit. Right. So who knows? Um. <clears throat> so in 1949, he was buried in Adelaide's West Terrace Cemetery. The Salvation Army conducted the service. Um, The South Australian Grandstand Bookmakers Association (laughs) paid for the service to save him from a pauper's burial. Nice. Which is really nice. Classic. Um, Weird connection there. There was a pub across from the cemetery, the Elephant and Castle Hotel. The hotel's patrons were very captivated by the case, as everybody is and was, including the members of the South Australian Grandstand Bookmakers Association. And they held regular meetings there, so they decided to take up a collection for his funeral. Nice. Very sweet. It's very sweet. Yeah. I actually Googled them to find out, like, what exactly are they? Couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Except pictures of the funeral, which nice. will be on the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, years after the burial, flowers began appearing on the grave. Police questioned, like, a woman seen leaving the cemetery, but she claimed she knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Which, def- I mean, people get so into this type of thing. There are graves of all kinds of mysterious deaths and, you know weird people in history that mm-hmm. people go and visit and bring flowers and get very emotionally yeah. attached. I would love to go to see the summer to man's grave. I would absolutely go. It looks cool. Yeah, it does look cool. Also picture of his grave mm-hmm. on show notes. It says here lies the unknown man who was found at Summerton beach. First December, 1948. Yeah, I would for sure go see that. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely, I mean, it, these are people that live in the area. So I'm sure like they were way more swept up in the details. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine if this was in Portland yeah. and this cool case was happening and mm-hmm. all these links were being discovered and nothing was being solved. Like I probably would go oh, scope it out. It'd be, yeah. it'd be cool. Um, so about the same time there was a woman, Ina Harvey, the receptionist from the Strathmore hotel, which was opposite the railway station revealed that a strange man had stayed in a room for a few days around the time of the death, checking out on November 30th. 
She recalled that he was English speaking and only carried a small black case, not unlike one a musician or a doctor might carry. Hmm. When an employee looked inside the case, he told Harvey that he had found an object inside the case he described as looking like a needle. Hmm. So that I think was only kind of included because it was like, maybe this was the Hmm. killer potentially not the Somerton man, but maybe this was whoever potentially killed him. Hmm. Who knows? Um, there was like somebody in November 1959, this E.B. Collins, an inmate of the New Zealand's Wanganai prison, claimed to know the identity of the dead man. Yeah. There have been numerous attempts to crack the letters in the back of the book, including like military intelligence, naval intelligence, mathematicians, yeah. nobody. Um, in 2004, that retired detective Jerry Feltis suggested in a Sunday Mail article that the final line of the code, which again, I'm not going to read, mm-hmm. um, could stand for the initials of it's time to move to South Australia, Mosley street, which is the street that the former nurse lived on. Um, but like, but the last line, so that all, that all adds up. Um, but each letter is just the first letter of that sentence, yeah. except street is ST. Right. And then there's three letters GAB at the end. Yeah, exactly. So like, like there's a whole lot of stuff where it just feels like a reach. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, this probably, um, but yeah, no idea about the code. They did like a, the Australian broadcasting corporation did a documentary series in the seventies. There was like a, Yeah. There's all kinds of people claiming that they knew this guy. There's been like 250 quote unquote identifications yeah, of the summer to man that have pretty much all been proven to be incorrect. Right. Um, and yeah, the South Australian police historical society has the bust, mm-hmm. which apparently has strains of strands of his hair, yeah. which is awesome. This um, day and age that can break the case. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> any further attempts to identify the body have kind of been somewhat hampered by the embalming. The formaldehyde destroyed much of his DNA and like his suitcase doesn't exist anymore. They destroyed it in the eighties. They fucking burned it. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Dude. And apparently like witness statements have disappeared from the police records over the years. There's like, see, just, I don't like, I'm, I understand like, okay, to a degree I could see that they're playing the angle of like, how long can we be expected to keep this stuff? Right. If it's like years and years, like decades later, but this still is, like, this is the, the quintessential like mystery from Australia. Yeah. Like if you Google like Australian mystery, this is like number one. This is it. So it's like their whole country's like big mystery. Yeah. So like, why wouldn't you hold on to that? Like how much room can a single suitcase take up in like an evidence right. locker? Yeah. But it's gone. That's just hurts my, it's like the, the burning of the library of Alexandria. Yeah. Like, it's why just, would you gone. burn it, man? Yeah, you can't get it back. Just, like, give it to someone and they'll hide it in their basement. Yeah. <sighs> right? Give it, like, some museum somewhere. Yeah. Give it to them. But no. No. Um, yeah, so there's all kinds of supposed identifications. There were, like, in the... On December 5th, 1948, the advertiser... An Adelaide newspaper reported that police were searching through military records. There was a man claimed to have had a drink with the Somerton man at a hotel on November 13th and that he produced a military pension card bearing the name Solomonson. Why would that come up? I don't know. Why? If you're drinking with somebody in a bar, why would you pull out your military pension card? Yeah. And be like, check it out. Yeah. That just seems, seems like a reach. Super sweet. Yeah. But basically everything has just been like, no. Um, there was... The most promising maybe 
was in 2011, an Adelaide woman contacted biological anthropologist Macy Henneberg. Sounds right to me. Anything. But an identification card of an H.C. Reynolds that she had found in her father's possessions. Um, it was a document issued in the U.S. to foreign seamen during World War One, And it was given to Henneberg. Um, yeah, by this woman for comparison of the ID photograph to that of the Summerton man. Apparently it was very similar looking. I would say it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty close. Yeah. Uh, obviously like, like there's a pretty big age difference in the, the picture of the man in this one. Yeah. And the Summerton man. So, you know, it could be roughly 15, 20 years age difference. But, um, I, I think personally just, you know, comparing the two images side by side, mm. Google HC Reynolds yeah. identification card and the Summerton man and just look at him. Yeah. It's, it's close. I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent, but it's close. Oh yeah. You know, he, um, this biological anthropologist found similarities, anatomical similarities, uh, nose, lips, and eyes, but he thought the ear shapes were a very good match and found like a mole on both men's cheeks that were like in the same shape and the same position. Hmm. Um, it was issued in the U S in 1918 HC Reynolds, whose nationality was British mm-hmm. And his age at the time was 18, so he would have been 48 at the time of death, which is right about what they estimated. Um, Searches conducted by the U.S. National Archives, the U.K. National Archives, and the Australian War Memorial Research Center failed to find any records. Um, Some independent researchers believe the ID card belonged to one Horace Charles Reynolds, a Tasmanian who died in 1953. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? That was the closest that they ever got. Um, so then this leads us into, well, we're going back a couple of years, but 2009, yep. a university of Adelaide team led by professor Derek Abbott yep. began an attempt to solve the case. They wanted to crack the code. Yeah. This, so this, he came into this from like the cipher angle, right? Yeah. He was trying to think, I think he would like use this as a way to teach his students how to break a cipher. And which is cool. Yeah. Which I've seen that like several times that like, you know, mathematicians or whatever, they'll like have their students try to break famous ciphers because like, you never know. You never know. You just take one kid's like different perspective to break a world famous cipher. Honestly, I think that the <clears throat> kind of, I mean, not that it's a brand new thing, but like the dawn of sort of either than just the internet sleuths. Oh yeah. Working on cases. Like I really think with a lot of things, if more people like a wider range of people had access to details of case. And I understand, you know, why they can't just be like, here's right. every detail of every case that exists. But mm-hmm. I really think if that were possible, a lot more would be solved. I think that they should do it with like cold cases. Like, yeah. okay, it's been like 20 years. Yeah. What's the harm in putting all this information out there? You know? Yeah. I like withhold like, you know, one or two details that don't really matter, but that could be used to identify the killer. You know what I mean? How they do that. Um, but I agree. Like there's this whole subreddit called like the RBI, the Reddit Bureau of investigation. Yeah. And they, they solve shit all the time. You just crowdsource it. Like if enough people put their minds to something from different walks of life, different countries, um, they can only help. Exactly. Yeah. People have different types of knowledge. And I think even just the fact that a lot of times, you know, you have the same people looking at a case for years and years And they kind of, you get your own ideas. It's kind of hard to get out of your own head about Mm -hmm. your own theory. And if you've already kind of convinced yourself that it's one avenue for a lot of people, I think it can be hard to to really investigate those other avenues because you're so locked into like, nope, it's definitely this. I just need to figure out why. You can't see the forest through the trees. Exactly. So I think it's kind of cool that they did this at all. Um, 
But yeah, his investigations have led to questions concerning the assumptions police have made on the case. Um, yeah, this dude, so, this dude Abbott, like went hard. Yeah, he, like, he went real hard. <laughs> you can <laughs> hear more about how hard he went. Yeah. Um. So, the Macy's Henneberg, the professor of anatomy at the University of Adelaide, examined images of the Summerton man's ears and found that his Simba, Simba, sure, upper ear hollow is larger than his cavum. Yeah. I like did not know how bad I was at say there's just so many <laughs> words. You know, you see a word written oh, yeah. and you have in your head how it's pronounced, but then like the minute you have to say it out loud, you're all of a sudden like I'm the dumbest person Wait in the world. Wait a second, yeah. Yeah. Cavum, cavum, his lower ear hollow. So the upper ear hollow is larger than the lower. Yeah. Apparently this is only possessed by one to two percent of the Caucasian population. Yeah. It's easier to when you see a photo of it, it's easier to understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to picture. Um, and then in May, 2009, Abbott consulted with dental experts who concluded that the Summerton man had hypodontia, Mm -hmm. which is a rare genetic disorder defined as the developmental absence of one or more teeth of both lateral incisors, a feature present only 2% of the general population. So he had these like weird genetic quirks that could potentially be used to identify either him or his descendants. Exactly. Because having these two genetic quirks is super rare. Yeah. Super rare. Um, in June 2010, Abbott obtained a photograph of Jessica Thompson. So this is the nurse mm-hmm. whose phone number was in the copy of the Rubiat. Yeah. Um, her eldest son, Robin, who was only like under two years old at the time when Summerton Man died. He, the photo clearly shows that he, just like the Summerton Man, had not only a larger Simba than Cavum, but also Hypodontia. Apparently the chances of this was a coincidence have been estimated as between like one in 10 to 20 million. Jeez. That this is just a coincidence that he's not related to the Summerton man. <laughs> so, and interestingly enough, Robin went on to perform with the Australian ballet and the Royal New Zealand ballet yep. after his mother. Like one of the things I read literally just said that she like took his hand one day and took him to dance classes. Weird. Why was no, she driven to do that? Insanely ripped calves and <laughs> yeah. weird wedge shaped feet as well. Yeah. So interesting. Um, So they would need to exhume the body for DNA testing to confirm or deny this. But uh, at the time in October, 2011, the attorney general, John Rao refused permission stating that there needed to be basically more public interest reasons rather than just curiosity. Right. Um, July, 2013 Abbott released like an artistic impression that he commissioned of the Summerton man. He thought maybe the autopsy photos weren't, quite good enough and the bust wasn't quite good enough um and then interestingly enough in 2015 mm-hmm. abbott married rachel yep. who is the daughter of robin yeah and his uh i think robin at the time had passed away already yeah but his widow right they had a baby and Derek abbott married her yeah how crazy is that he went deep he went real deep so he in researching this case obviously wanted to get in touch with any living potential mm-hmm. family members, even just of Jessica Thompson right. to find out what do you think? Did your mom know this man? Did she ever talk about this? Whatever. Mm-hmm. So he corresponded with uh, Rachel via letter. They arranged to meet in person, discovered they had a lot in common. And apparently he proposed by the end of the weekend. It Dude, seems fast. It seems fast. Also, he lost all journalistic credibility. Yeah, a by- little bit. By he is no longer an objective outsider. Like they have three kids now. Yeah. They might have kids that are related to the Summerton man. Right. So potential Rachel theoretically would be the 
granddaughter of the Somerton man. Yeah. And therefore, Abbott's children would be the great-grandchildren of the Somerton man. Yeah. There was even, like, one interview thing that I read that was her talking about, like, people joke that he married me for my DNA, and I think that might be partly true. And I was like, what? That's a that's weird. What? That's weird to say. This dude Abbott seems like a strange man. Yeah. It. I mean... On one hand, like I initially read that and I was like, well, like people fall in love all kinds of ways and that's cool. And you, I was imagining in my head that he's like, you know, long term interviewing her and they're spending like months talking or whatever. But then like, I mean, I don't know how long they corresponded via letter. Right. Maybe that was a long time. But then like they met in person and just like really hit it off. And then like, bam, by the end of the weekend, he's like, marry me. Yeah. It's intense. Um. So fast forward 2017, he announces that they have three excellent hairs, quote, at the right development stage for extracting DNA found on the plaster cast Mm -hmm. of the corpse that were submitted for analysis. Um, That apparently could reportedly take up to a year. It's obviously been a little bit longer than that, but I don't know if there's an update on that. Um, In February 2018, the University of Adelaide team obtained a high definition analysis of the mitochondrial DNA Mm -hmm. from the hair sample found that he and his mother, so the Summerton man's mother, yep. belong to a, I'm not even going to pretend to know what the hell this is, a haplogroup H4A1A1A, yep. which is possessed by only 1% of Europeans. Interesting. I looked up, because I like to know what things are when yeah. we do this research, like I was all looking up digitalis. Yeah. I looked up haplogroup, whatever. Yeah. Did not understand a thing. It's ba- it's basically like your, your extreme ancestors. Yeah. So like the first person in your d like who possessed your dna who had the specific mutations that you have so it would be sort of like the beginning of your genetic line yeah your genetic lineage and so your haplogroup would be like you know one specific sort of like adam and eve that then you know um like certain haplogroups are huge like there are some in china that have like you know millions of people belong to this haplogroup. There are some that are very small and specific that come from like different human. It's, it's fascinating. I would encourage our listeners to delve into haplogroups because it's good for your edification. Yeah. It's wild. I, yeah, I tried. I maybe was already a little too, like I was a sponge soaking in all of this. And I think I was just like too full at that point. I was like, Nope. You got to switch gears to like, yeah, some dense science. I couldn't add any more. But anyways, so there was in November 2013, a 60 minutes, quote, investigation, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't really call that. It was just like an interview. Yeah. Um, so relatives of Jessica Thompson gave interviews to the program 60 Minutes. Kate Thompson, the daughter of Jessica, who actually died in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and Prosper Thompson. So that was Jessica's husband that she, I believe, married Shortly after this investigation, like shortly after the summer man was found, mm. Jessica Thompson married this guy named, that was the name Prosper. It's a cool name, right? That is a cool name. Um, so she, Kate, believed that her mother had known who the summer man was. Mm-hmm. She said that her mother had actually told her that she lied to the police, um, that she did know the identity of the summer man, and that his identity was also, quote, known to a level higher than the police force, <laughs> is what she said. Um, Kate suggested that her mother and the Summerton man may have both been spies, both been spies, Damn. noting that Jessica taught English to migrants, was interested in communism and could speak Russian, although she would not disclose to her daughter where she had learned it or why. 
Hmm. Does seem like an odd thing in the late 40s for a woman in Australia to know Russian. Again, I don't totally know. Right. If that's really as odd as it seems, yeah. but that's 1948 odd. was like the not the height of the Cold War, but it was like like the Cold War was going. Yeah. So like you wouldn't just be like a I guess you could have potentially learned Russian before the war and it right. could just be unrelated to communism. Yeah. Like what is what does being interested in communism mean? Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that just I seems know. I don't know. It seems like a big I mean I want to believe the best in people. <clears throat> yep. And so I don't want to think that her daughter is just like latching on. Right. But it, it seems like unless that really was your intention would seem shitty, especially if at the time your mother was dead. Right. Unless you really had a bad relationship with her to like be saying shit like, yeah, she totally lied to the police and I think she was a spy. Right. Seems like a rough thing to say unless you really had a reason to believe that. Right. Or again, you just really wanted attention. It, it just seems too good to be true that she just flat out told her daughter like, yeah, I lied to the police. And yeah. Like it just seems too convenient. Yeah. I guess I, I should have looked into how old Kate was at the time that right. this was happening. Um, I don't know how close in age her and Robin would have been. Cause again, Robin was only a baby right? when the Summerton man died. So I guess I could see if Kate was young enough. Maybe that would be something that maybe even she wasn't directly told, but maybe she overheard mm. something like that. But yeah, if she was like older, it would seem like an odd thing to say to your kid. Yeah. Especially like, again, this investigation is going on for a while. Like I wouldn't want anybody to know that right. I had lied to police. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Robin Thompson's widow Roma um, and their daughter, Rachel also appeared on the show. They suggested that the Summerton man was, Robin's father and therefore Rachel's grandfather. Um, they actually reported that they lodged a new application to the attorney general um, to have the body exhumed and DNA tested. Um, and Derek Abbott had like written to him in support of them saying like, essentially that we want to find closure for right. this family. Um, he said that it would be consistent with federal government policy of identifying soldiers in war graves to bring closure. Hmm. Um, but Kate Thompson actually opposed the exhumation. She thought it would be dis disrespectful to her brother. Hmm. which is interesting as well. Or prove that it wasn't actually her brother. Exactly. Um, so that leads us to a couple similar or possibly related cases. Yeah. This was the kind of the wild part to me. Yeah. Cause I, this just seems like a weird kind of like esoteric story until you start to read about the similar cases. Yeah. There's some weird, um, connections. Yeah. This is definitely, again, like the whole, is it something or is it nothing? Like, yeah. You can kind of start to go down the road of like, maybe it was just some rando guy right? and whatever. Like maybe he didn't have any crazy ties. Maybe he didn't have some wild history and he wasn't this crazy character that we've made him out to be. Mm -hmm. But then when these come up, you're kind of like, okay, like maybe he was somebody. Right. Um, so Joseph Marshall. Yep. Joseph George Marshall. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why his name is also George. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like. June 1945. So this is three years before the Summerton man's death. Yep. 34 year old Singaporean man named George Marshall mm -hmm. was found dead in Ashton Park in Sydney with an open copy of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam on his chest. Dun, dun, dun. Which again, so initially reading this, I was like, oh shit, same book. Like that's crazy. But then right. it was popular at the time. Yeah. It, Whatever. It, it, it would be the equivalent of like, I don't know, like an iPhone or something yeah. nowadays. Like it would just be like something that, or like a, like a, I don't even know. I don't even know what to draw a comparison to. Right. But like back just, in the 1940s, like all you had was books. Yeah. So like it would be the equivalent of like 
oh, like he was watching an episode of Game of Thrones on his iPhone when he died. Yeah. And then this and other person was watching the same episode when they died. Oh, shit. You know what I mean? It's like that could mean something or it could mean nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It was <clears throat> open copy on his chest. He was, his death was believed to be a suicide by poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the brother of David Marshall, who was later to become Singapore's first chief minister. There was an inquest in August 1945, and there was a woman who testified at the inquest who was found dead less than two weeks later, face down, naked, in a bathtub with a wrist slit. It's weird. So, weird connection with the book. It's like, suicide, poisoning, all very similar. Mm-hmm. And then with somebody being killed who testified yeah. at the inquest, seems like, you know, maybe wasn't a suicide. The, the part about this that I don't buy is that, so, I guess the, the is the implication that, that this was a serial killer? Or that it was like some kind of spy thing. Right. Yeah. I would buy that it was a serial killer because this would be like a um, a signature that the serial killer left was the Rubaiyat. Mm. But a spy isn't going to leave something behind at two different murder sites where they like killed another spy or whatever. Right. They're not going to leave that behind as like a signature. They're going to want to keep those like as unrelated as possible. The fact that these are not linked doesn't speak to spy to me. It would speak to a serial killer. But we've seen like no evidence of serial killer right so it's just it's just weird like yeah again does, is this connected is this like is this the linchpin of the whole summer man case or is this yeah. just full coincidence exactly yeah it they everything about this is frustrating in the same way of just mm-hmm. yeah everything or, or nothing everything or nothing and then june 6 1949 so this is the following year after mm-hmm. Summerton man the body of a two-year-old boy clive magnuson um, was found in a sack in the Largs Bay, Sandhills, uh, 12 miles up the coast from Somerton. Lying next to him was his unconscious father, Keith. The father was taken to a hospital in very weak condition. He was suffering from exposure. He had a medical examination and transferred to a mental hospital. Um, so these two had been missing for four days. They believed that Clive, the two-year-old, had been dead for about 24 hours when his body was found. Um... Yeah, they, so the weird, one of the weird things about this, Mm -hmm. they were found by this guy, Neil, who claimed that he had seen the location of the two in a dream the night before, (laughs) which just like throws a whole. Yeah. Nothing about this is paranormal. And all of a sudden, bam. All of a sudden, like, what the fuck? The coroner couldn't cause the determinant of the boy's death, although it was not believed to be natural, which I think is probably obvious by the fact that he was in a sack. Yeah. Like, probably didn't just die in a sack. That's not a thing that people do. And if his dad's carrying that kid around in a sack, then yeah. that's a whole other issue. <laughs> it's a issue. whole other issue. So, following the death, the boy's mother, also named Roma, apparently that was just a name at the time. I guess so. It's a cool name. Roma. I like it. Um, She reported that she had been threatened by a masked man who, while driving in a cream-colored car, almost ran her down outside of her home. Um, She stated that the, quote, the car stopped and a man with a khaki handkerchief over his face told her to keep away from the police or else. And a similar man had been seen lurking around her house. Um, She believed this situation was related to her husband's attempts to identify the Somerton man. And I guess this husband thought that he was this guy, Carl Thompson. Um... Yeah, soon after being interviewed by police over her harassment, she collapsed and required medical treatment. Apparently didn't die, though. Hmm. And there were a couple other people in, like, that town or whatever that had received, like, anonymous phone calls threatening that there would, like, she would have an accident if they kept pursuing it or whatever. So that was kind of, like, an odd thing to throw in to be, like, you know, was this stuff happening because he was looking into this case? Right. 
the the dad didn't die so i don't really know there wasn't anything about i didn't look into that deeper to find out because like yeah he was still alive and was brought to the mental hospital and presumably like lived yeah so like what so, was his story like yeah, why story? like how did you end up there yeah like what, what the hell happened to that kid i don't know this is another weird one yeah so, so the, the idea being that he tried to identify the summerton man and was attacked by this person wearing a khaki handkerchief yeah to silence him or whatever but then they also didn't silence him yeah they didn't silence him they like they killed, killed his, his kid baby. and then sucks they could and have killed him in like the mental hospital yeah and like it seems like they easily could have killed him if he died from exposure yeah like i don't even understand yeah none of that story makes any sense to me it, it doesn't um it's a weird little footnote yeah yeah like sorry to confuse you all with that yeah. and so yeah and so basically the only recent update is uh i read an article from october 2019 just a few months ago yeah that the south australian uh, ugh, south australian attorney general vicky chapman mm -hmm. who apparently has been interested in this case for a while classic vicky chapman classic <laughs> she granted approval for the body to be dug up and examined in the hope that maybe some new technology mm -hmm. can crack the case in the you know in the in the era where the golden state killer was found using his dna maybe yep. we'll find you know the family of the Summerton man be badass so Wild. it's kind of a good thing that we got this episode in when we did yeah because there might be an update yeah there might be an update that it was it's now knowable um so that's yeah that's the case that's the yeah there's i mean you could go deeper on a lot of the stuff that we yeah. talked about and i would encourage so you to deeper. but um that's pretty much like the the main stuff yeah so let's get into let's get into theories yeah so obviously we've already talked about it enough Mm -hmm. But one of the theories, obviously, is that he was poisoned. Yep. But that seems to me the most likely, at least, cause of death. Yeah. How the poisoning happened is up for debate. But I think that poisoning makes the most sense. Yeah. Um. I had you had mentioned um, positional asphyxia as a potential yeah. cause of death. Apparently, that was something that was actually brought up. I'm sure not solely, but by Derek Abbott mm. that he thought maybe. Yeah, like if you were laying in such a way that we were describing, where like your chin is touching your chest and like your your neck is all tweaked. I guess I could see like, cause, but then, but then again, I feel like positional asphyxia, it would be a symptom of being poisoned because you're right. not just going to lay like that and suffocate to death unless you're on like some heavy, heavy sedative. Exactly. Yeah. That it definitely, it said that it's a pretty rare thing. Um, like one of the examples they gave was somebody being crushed in like the automatic doors of a store, which that's like a bit more of like just you laying against a seawall. Yeah. Like I right. don't think you're just going to let yourself suffocate and die. Right. Like you could just slide six inches down and <laughs> yeah. breathe. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's just like, no, Yeah. I really like my head being 90 degrees yeah, to my feels, body. This feels good. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, um, it makes no sense. And again, yeah, unless he had taken a really heavy sedative. Yeah. Or was given a very heavy sedative. Yeah, or was given one. Which, it wasn't in his food. No, it wasn't in his food. And there were all kinds of theories about, like, did he potentially, there was no, um, like, means of the poison getting into his system right, around no him. Puncture marks. There was no needles. Yeah. But it was like, maybe he took the poison a short walk from the beach mm. and it was taking effect. And that's why he was so close to the stairs right? because he took the poison, tossed the vial or whatever somewhere mm. and then, you know, went to go onto the beach and he couldn't really get far because he was starting to feel the effects right. and then sat down. Maybe that's part of, you know, yeah, why he was slumped, why there's nothing near him. There were like some shrubbery behind him. It was like maybe he took it and then tossed it into the shrubbery. 
Maybe it got buried in the sand somewhere yeah, near him. He just like thrown it into like the ocean or whatever. Yeah. There's like a million things. And it's also like, even if somebody had found it, if they weren't looking for it at the time, yeah. just the sand and like obviously a lot of people being on the beach mm-hmm. could have gotten buried. And if somebody had found that later, you wouldn't really think anything of it. Right. If you found, it wouldn't be like, what the fuck? Hmm. And even they mentioned maybe he took pills, which wouldn't need to be a vial. You could but then they would have found pocket. it in his stomach. Yeah. They would have found something. And there, I guess they there was like dust in his pockets that they even did an examination of and there was nothing unusual found hmm. so so he I, I think he was poisoned but i have no fucking idea how yeah no idea how um or why or the, who the cigarette on his lapel is weird because it's like did he lay down and like felt like a cigarette would wake him up or did he poison himself and he wanted one last cigarette and didn't have enough energy to light it right because he only had matches and not a cigarette lighter that he left in his bag for whatever reason yep um I don't feel like if he was going to commit suicide, he would have like left his bag in like a train station. And I don't feel like he would have showered. I don't feel like he would have been doing the things that he was doing if he was planning on committing suicide. Right. Um, It's also strange too, like that he would have traveled to this place that he doesn't know of, check his bag, take a shower, shave, and then go drink poison and then lay down on the beach. Like right. it just seems, I mean, there's been stories of people doing that where they go to like a new, like somebody like gets diagnosed with like, there's this one mystery where this guy um, went to like some beach town in um, England. They never determined his identity, but they found like he went there and like drowned himself on the beach or whatever. And they find his body did an autopsy and they found he had like this awful aggressive form of cancer hmm. and he was dying. So he like, went to the seaside town to like kill himself. Yeah. Um, but there was no medical conditions that would have caused the summer man to die except for the ones related to his poisoning. Right. So like I, the suicide thing doesn't, doesn't feel right to me. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like I, I still err on the side of that. He was murdered. Like it just feels yeah. to me like he was, he was murdered and then made, or like he was, you know, dosed with this poison and then maybe was like wandering and he's like, oh, I feel fucking weird. And then like laid down, like I just need to lay down and like smoke a cigarette real quick and put yeah. the cigarette in his mouth and then died or, you know, positional asphyxia or his heart just stopped or whatever. Right. And maybe even those people who saw his hand go up, like he was like, uh, like trying to get their attention, like for help or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, my, my intent, my gut feeling is that he was murdered. Yeah. I don't think it was suicide. No, I, I would have to agree. And obviously Again, there's a lot to go into with the this particular theory, but one of the the main theories of why he was murdered is that he was a spy. Yes. Um I'm a big fan of the spy theory. Yeah. Because it's very romantic. It is. And that was what some people said too, is that that's like a thing, especially around this time frame, that yeah. you can kind of pin on like every unusual nineteen forty eight, yeah. Cold War. Like um, somebody was a spy. Yeah. Um, there was a radium hill uranium mine and mm-hmm. a Woomera test range nearby mm-hmm. his death coincided with like a reorganization of Australian security agencies. There was like a whole crackdown on Soviet espionage in Australia pretty soon after he died, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's obviously that potential that he was. That would make sense why his, um, the, the labels were gone from all of his clothing, why he had these like weird sharpened things and his, um, like the sharpened scissors and the sharpened like knife. Um, why he had that 
like the 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 stenciling brush could have been related to spy activity. Yep. Um, Even like the evidence that he had kind of been a little bit of a traveler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had things from America and things that were more popular in America or could only be yeah. obtained in America. Mm-hmm. So this guy obviously wasn't you know native yeah. to Australia. It seemed the fact that we've never been able to find his identity too could just be like he went into the the whatever intelligence agency and they just scrubbed his background from all records yeah and that's why we've never been able to find him um the singaporean man who was found with the rubaiyat on his chest um in australia as well could have also been a spy right um maybe the um the nurse there uh what was her name jessica jessica um maybe she was a handler like a, a spy handler um and you know a, a common a common thing is a book cipher where you are, um, you know, if you have the exact copy of a book and the other person has the exact copy of that book, you can say like page six, line 13, uh, fifth letter. Mm. And then you just do that and you can spell out messages that way. And unless the person listening has the exact same copy of that book, right. they're not going to be able to decipher it. Yeah. Um, so potentially they, what if they use the Rubaiyat as their, um, their their book cipher yeah and so maybe like the singaporean man and the Semerton man were both spies in this network in australia and jessica was the handler who used the rubaiyat but then again why would she put her number in the back of that book that's a huge oversight right um it just doesn't feel like something that a spy would do nor would the spy take notes in such a way that that they would leave indentations in the book so that you could read the cipher again that's true it seems like something you'd be a lot more careful about yeah, knowing that you were trying to keep everything about your identity secret. Right. And yeah, the, the lack of ID on him is yep. just one of those, like, yeah, the whole, the whole case. Like I honestly, I know I don't really have theories about a lot of our <laughs> topics. Cause I just get like, I'm just like, I don't know. All those things sound yeah reasonable, but I, I really just don't. I also, yeah, I don't believe that it was suicide. Mm-hmm. I do believe that he was murdered. Yep. I don't know why. Or how. Or how. Or by who. <laughs> yeah, or by who. I don't know any of the further details, but I know that this topic is way deeper than I ever imagined yeah. it would be. I really, going into this, like, it kind of shows when I first, first heard about this topic, yeah, years ago, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is probably like a pretty, it's probably mysterious for how little is known about it. Yeah. And then it turns out that, no, it's mysterious because of how much is known. Yeah, you can't parse through what's like relevant and what's not. Yeah. I mean, just go to the Wikipedia page for it. Yeah. Look at how long. I mean, usually for missing people cases, it's fairly short because again, there's usually, paragraphs. yeah, there's so much and you can find Reddit threads and people's like entire blog posts, interpretations of what they think. Mm-hmm. It's intense, but um, yeah, definitely somebody killed him. I agree. Maybe in that spot, maybe somewhere else. It's just, yeah. there's just no, maybe he got no carried answers. to that spot. Yeah. Maybe, or maybe he was poisoned and somebody brought him there and laid him down thinking that he was just going to sleep it off or whatever. Yeah. And this positional asphyxia got him, you know, damn, maybe it was an accident. Literally every option is possible. I don't know. They didn't mention anything about whether or not he had like a blood alcohol content. No, they didn't. I thought about that too. Cause I was like, that would be the really in my mind besides a sedative. Yeah. Um, which I guess is possible too. I mean, really in that kind of point, I mean, without the, the book, like we said, if the book was just a completely innocent 
thing he picked up at a thrift store mm-hmm. and without knowing if he had a blood alcohol level, which I, oh yeah, I didn't see that mentioned anywhere either. Right. Um, if he was hammered, what if he went to the nurse's house? Like he had had a past relationship with the nurse, went there, she rejected him. He went and got shit hammered and then wandered down to the beach and laid down there and was so drunk that he passed out and positional asphyxia, asphyxi, asphyxiated to death. Whoa. I'm just going to finish. I'm just going to go with that pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, it that, was not correct. But that was the correct. Best I'm going to do. Yeah, I wonder. <clears throat> I wonder even what if he had been not even hammered drunk, but what if he had had a, a couple drinks and taken a sedative right. for whatever reason? There, I mean, there are people who take sedatives, you know, as sort of like a relaxing mm-hmm. agent or whatever. Maybe he had taken one and had some drinks or vice versa and gone down to the beach just to like be sad about shit. Right. And then, yeah, just got himself wedged weirdly and mm-hmm. was all loose from the sedatives and mm-hmm. from the alcohol and then just whoops. Yeah. He and, had, I remember saying like his, his pupils were, um, Oh yeah. Tiny or large. Yeah. They were something. They were either too big or too small. <laughs> they um, were something they shouldn't have been. So what if he did like an eyedropper of barbiturates? Oh, dang. Like he, like, that's a thing, right? And I'm imagining in this scenario, he goes to see her. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Maybe he goes to like bring her the book of poems Yeah, and she like turns him down or yep. whatever. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. I'm marrying this guy. Yep. His name is Prosper. He's super cool. Clearly <laughs> yep. by his name. Yeah. And he's like, fuck this. Yeah. So he takes the book because she didn't want it because she's like, get out of here. Right. And then he like rips out the it is finished part because mm-hmm. yeah, this, relationship this relationship is finished. is finished. And then he chucks it in the back of a car because he's yeah. like, fuck this book. Mm-hmm. Don't even want it anymore. Yeah. And then, yeah, goes and takes some little cocktail of stuff mm-hmm. because he's sad, yeah. slumps himself against the seawall and now he's yeah. dead. Maybe he just kept that little it is finished part in his pocket because he was just like, yeah. Cause it's finished. Yeah, feeling real sad, and it's he very, wasn't like, intending to kill it's a very, himself. Like, like, dr- like drunk, dramatic thing to do. Oh, know, rip yeah. that out of the book and then toss it in someone else's car. Yeah, when you think about the details of that in the eyes of somebody who was even a little bit drunk. Oh yeah, it starts to make a lot more sense. You're like, yeah, I could see doing that if I was drunk. You said that so Robin, the potential child of the Semerton man. Yeah, and the child of Jessica. Yes, was two years old when the Semerton man died. I think. I mean, one of the things I read said that he was 16 months old in 1948, which doesn't make sense because. Huh. you aren't 16 months old for the entire year right so i don't know exactly but he was under two so but he was so what if the summerton man had a like what if he was a either whatever pick your poison he was a spy he was on he was a merchant mariner on a boat yeah a traveler um, traveler whatever um comes into town adelaide sleeps with jessica goes off does his thing comes back two years later and he's like, yo, you got a kid. How old's that kid? And it's like, <laughs> oh, 16 months. Weird. I was here 16 months ago. Shit. Or year and whatever. Yeah. Um, so what if what if that was the thing? And like she was like, Nope, you're not gonna this isn't your kid, you're not gonna see him, and like completely shut him out. And that could have been what drove him to go do drugs because he wasn't gonna get to see his child. Dang. What if she even like he found out somehow that she had, had the kid and that's what brought him back? Which would be why he took a shower and shaved. Yeah. Because he was trying to look good for the girl. Yep. Weird. And then, yeah, and then found out on his trip, like, oh, dang, I have a kid. Right. And again, I don't remember the exact timeline, but I do, I'm pretty sure that her, her and Prosper 
or did they get divorced shortly after either she was about to get into a relationship or was presumably already in one and was about to get married or mm. she was in a relationship and was about to get divorced either way i'm pretty sure that this prosper guy was in the picture yeah. in some way and so in the 19, in 1948 women weren't allowed to have sex lives so she didn't want to admit to her either current or future husband that she had slept with this guy and yeah. had a kid with him um she could have told some story like oh yeah he died in the war or whatever yeah um and so that's why when she went to go see the plaster bus, she was like, oh, shit, that's the father of my child. Yeah. And that's why she was so emotionally distraught, but also wanted nothing to do with it because she didn't want it to come out that she'd slipped around and that that wasn't a child. You know what I mean? Like We just cracked this case. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe we're focusing on the totally wrong thing. Exactly. Yeah. Now I just have in my head. Okay. So that's my favorite theory now. Yeah. That's the closest that I can come to. And maybe that um, cipher that was in the back of the book was um you know like the, i was saying how it's the first letter of words mm. so it's a you know a mnemonic device in order to remember um like a speech or whatever so maybe he had a speech he was going to say to her and so he was he wrote that in the back of the book so we could remember um what he wanted to say to her yeah you know what i mean like like jessica i love you i want to do this or whatever and so it was like j-i-l you know what i mean yeah it's not, it's not the it's, Yeah, it's not, but, but something like that. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Some kind of like romantic poetry type thing. Right, yeah, because then he had her, yeah, her phone number back there, so he was like ready to be able to call her or whatever right. in case he couldn't like remember where she lived, but. But then like, so, and another, so another weird detail that I just want to examine. So, cigarettes. Yeah. So he had the, um, the cheap army club cigarettes, which are just like in a ration, essentially like the cheapest cigarettes you could get in Australia at that time. Yeah. Inside the package was seven expensive cigarettes. So he was trying to look less wealthy or like he had less taste or mm. means. And it's weird because like so like potentially the thrifted clothes, um, the weirdly like 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 sharpened knife and the sharpened scissors and stuff doesn't really make sense and then mm. he's like also trying to appear less wealthy than he is uh, like it all speaks to someone trying to be someone that they're not and like having the sharpened scissors and the sharpened knife almost feel like you know weapons that you would keep on yourself that could seem innocuous like they even had little sheaths like like you would with a shiv so it's almost like that speaks to me like a spy thing like you're trying to appear as if you're someone else mm. by having different clothes different cigarettes so you're trying to like create a character yeah and so is he is that a spy thing or is that him trying to create like a more working class uh image to appeal to the to jessica you know right. what i mean like i don't understand why he would do that the cigarettes yeah. and the thing i wonder if that's that was like a common thing that happened back then but like when you look at the package it's not like it's like a solid like cardboard package that he would have refilled it's like a loose like paper package that it wouldn't make any sense if you ran out of cigarettes from that package, you would just throw that package away. Right. I don't know why you would refill it unless you were intentionally trying to show, hmm. like project a less wealthy and or like you have less taste or whatever. Yeah. It's just a weird, again, a weird detail. Yeah. I just want to get into his brain. Because again, that's one of those things where it's like, should you dive deep into that and figure it out? Or is it just some weirdo quirk? Yeah. Just some weird thing that he just happened to do. Again, so I think I mentioned to you before we recorded, I'm pretty sure Derek Abbott himself, the guy from the University of Adelaide who mm -hmm. like launched this big investigation later on, said himself something along the lines of like, you know, if any one of us was found with no identification, right. 
would we appear as mysterious as he does? Right. Just playing into the, again, the entire idea that everything about this case could be something or could be absolutely nothing. Right. And I think, yeah, that's just, it's because so many things were found and were mentioned and included in the case notes and everything that it's like, you could go into 15 different directions of like, but what about this? Like, what about the phone number? And what about the piece of paper? And what about it found in the car? And what about the nurse? And it's just, we don't even know that all these things are actually connected, right? But we're wanting them to be connected, but you can't, you can't discount anything and you can't make anything the most important because we don't know. Right. Which is ultimately why this case may never, like it'll never be solved no. to the extent of knowing what the connection is between all these things, because we're never going to be able to hear it from him. Oh, the most that we're going to know is his name yeah. and his identity. Exactly. And potentially his like descendants. Yeah. And you could probably glean some information about like his, you know, his life or whatever. So if you find out like, Oh, you know, he has like three living grandchildren and they're like, Oh yeah. Grandpa, blah, blah, blah. Like was, you know, fought in world war two, blah, 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 whatever stories they have of him. I doubt they're going to know how he died. Maybe right. like this story will end with like, yeah, and then one day he like got in a boat and sailed away and we never saw him again. Or he got yeah. on a plane, flew away and never saw him again or something. Yeah. There's going to be no satisfactory conclusion to how he died. Right. And with Jessica being dead at this point, we're mm-hmm. never going to really know if they had a connection. Right. All we have is some feedback from her kids. Yep. Who may or may not be just trying to backpack on the, the, the family legacy. Yeah. So, Welcome to the frustrating case of the Summerton man. Yeah. Go out there, uh, Google some stuff, go deep on some of those rabbit holes, see if you can figure it out. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Do you think he was a spy? Mm -hmm. Do you think it was suicide? Do you think he was murdered? Was it a serial killer? We didn't really touch on that much, but was it some kind of serial killer? Yeah. Was there a connection with the book or was that, was he just some drunk guy in love and pissed off because he wasn't going to be able to see his kid? Mm Mm-hmm. Let us know what you think. but And let us know if you find anything interesting, if there's any details we left out right. or anything that you dove down and you were like, hey, this completely changes the route you guys were going in. Exactly. Let us know. Love to hear that. Yeah. Love to know. So yeah. that's episode 35. Summerton Man. The Summerton Man. Tamam Shu. Yeah. Wow. It is nice. Finished. I get it. I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Episode 35 of I Know. Love you. <coughs> 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 <coughs>